The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Despite the sound of my voice, I am not Wes McKenzie. My name is Ben Lankford, and I've lost my voice. This is what you get for being outside coaching 10-year-old girls soccer all day yesterday in the wind. By the way, my 10-year-old girls team won the President's Cup. They're the state champions in their division for 10-year-old girls. It was a worthwhile sacrifice. We want to welcome you in the name of Jesus. May his grace and his peace be upon you. We're in a sermon series titled, Your Story, Scripture and the Mission of God. And your story being one God's story, but also having a double meaning being our story or your story. And so today we're going to be in the book of Acts, chapter 1, 1 through 8. Let's read this together. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus had begun to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, after his suffering, he presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, he ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, he said, is what you have heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, is this the time when you're going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He replied, it is not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for your word. We confess that your word is our life. And we depend on every word that comes out of your mouth. So God, I pray as always that you give us ears to hear, hearts to follow, lives and bodies to obey, and God, I ask today for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus, your word to us that we pray, amen. All good stories not only tell you what happened, but at some point, they actually invite you into the story to do something whether explicitly or implicitly. So we've been in the story of God and God's mission, and we've seen how God has worked in creation, creating the world and humanity in his own image, how he's worked through Israel. We've seen how God has worked through Jesus Christ. And in this text, we get to how God is working by the power of his spirit through us, through his disciples. And the book of Acts is not just how God is working by his spirit through us, but it's this story about how this regional 
particular to a certain group of people, religion, moves from a Jewish sect into a global phenomenon. I teach a course in Oklahoma Christian called Global Christianity. It's amazing to see the extent to which Christianity has gone around the world. And the book of Acts begins telling that story about how it moves from this Jewish sect religion into this global phenomenon. But as it moves through the story, the story of, of Acts actually traces through two people. Peter kind of narrates the story through Peter's life in the first half of the book. And then it overlaps with Paul. And the reason it does this is because it's showing Peter is, he's the one that's calling Jewish people to Jesus. But as we know from the story, that Paul is the missionary to the Gentiles. So the story slowly moves from Peter to Paul, and then on from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. But what's interesting about this story that we have in the book of Acts and really the rest of the Bible is the question that comes up, what is so attractive about this Jewish sect religion that people begin calling Christianity? What is so attractive about what happens in people's lives that not just Jewish people in this small, remote region of the world, but to the ends of the earth, literally today, people are attracted to this Jesus. And so in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, it says this. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Jesus says to his disciples, in fact, he says it not just to the disciples on the text of that page. He's saying it to you and I, that you will be my witnesses. And we may not be in Judea or Samaria, but we are at the ends of the earth. Even though it feels sometimes like we're at the center of everything. And he says, you'll receive the Holy Spirit and you'll be my witnesses, is what Jesus says. This word witness, it's actually a more familiar term than we know. For the word that in Greek for witness is a word that you're very familiar with, but you often don't associate with witness. The word in Greek is martyr. You should know that term because we talk about martyrs all the time. Martyrs are someone that gives their life for something. And so this term martyr, it actually means witness. And what was noticed by people in the first century, really in the third and fourth and even beyond, was that Christians' lives were marked by suffering for the sake of Christ and for the sake of others. And the world took note of this. So much so that the word witness became associated with suffering and dying. 
There's actually quite a few stories. We have stories of Christian martyrs in the first few centuries. But one that is incredibly striking to me is a story about a young woman named uh, Propatia. In fact, we know of this story because she wrote about her own story in prison. She lived in North Africa about the third century. And she was one of many disciples. They were called uh, catechumens. They were, dis- they, were dis- they were being discipled and trained and taught the word of God. This is what early Christians did. They weren't baptized right away, but they went through this process where they said, I believe in Jesus. And so they, they signed up and they walked through this discipling program, as it were, before their baptism. And she was a part of five that were preparing for baptism. They were studying and preparing for baptism, and they were arrested by the government authorities in North Africa. And they were sentenced to death because of their faith. And she writes about this. One of the interesting things about this woman is that she's born into a noble family, so she wasn't poor. She was very well educated and had lots of rights. She was married. She had a father and a mother and two brothers. One was like herself, was going to be baptized into Jesus. She also had a young son, an infant, who she was breastfeeding at the time. And when she was put in prison, they would bring the baby to her. She would nurse the baby and then give the baby back. She was 22 years old. This is what she writes. While we were still with the persecutors, my father, for the sake of his affections for me, was persisting and seeking to turn me away and to cast down from the faith cast me down from the faith. And I said, Father, do you see this vessel lying here as a little pitcher or something else? And her father said, I see it as a little pitcher. She said to him, can it be called by any other name than what it is? And her father replied, no, it can't. And she replies back, nor can I call myself anything else than what I am, a Christian. 22 years old. Her father comes to her in prison, begs her to recant of her faith. And she says, I can't be called anything else. This is who I am. She suffers and dies for her faith. She must have been taught taught Paul's words in Philippians 3.10, which says this, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ and the power of his rising and share in his suffering and be conformed to his death. People were amazed at this kind of faith. 
the first few centuries. They gave their time, their food, their homes, their money, their rights. They gave their very lives to faith that gives up oneself for the sake of Christ and others. They were witnesses through their suffering. And the world took note. Christians were also not only marked by suffering in the book of Acts and in the early church, they're also marked by radical forgiveness. And the world took note of this as well. You know, I've noticed this reoccurring thing happening. You can't help but hear about the shootings that are going on in the news. And as I was thinking about this, I was reminded that in 2015, there's a young man named Dylan Roof that walked into a church. Dylan Roof was white. He walked into an African-American, a black church. And he gunned down nine people because of his hatred. And one of the things that I remember most about that story was a woman named Nadine Collier, who was the daughter of one of the victims in the shooting. And they showed on the news her in the courtroom, and Dylan Roof was there appearing in court, and he was on the TV screen. And Nadine got to speak to Dylan. And with her voice, voice breaking with emotion, she said this, I forgive you. You took something very precious from me. I will never talk to her again. I will never, ever hold her again. But I forgive you. I remember thinking, how could she do that? It's amazing. Then a few years later in 2018, you'll remember this, when Botham Jean was shot by an off-duty police officer who she mistook for someone invading her own apartment, but he was, in it, he was in his own apartment. She just went to the wrong apartment. She shot and killed him. And his family got to be at the, at the hearing and they show this, remember this scene they show in the courtroom, his brother, his teenage brother, whose name was Brant Jean, was his name. And he got to address Amber, the officer, Amber Geiger. And with tears, He's wiping his face and trying to fight off the tears, but he looks at her and he says, I just want you to know, I forgive you. And then I remember he did something I'll never forget. He asked the judge if he could get up and walk over to Amber. And the judge agrees and he gets up and she runs to him and they embrace 
cry. And I just thought, how could he do that? That's incredible. And then as you know, in the past week or so, there was another shooting in Buffalo. Ten people died. African Americans shot by someone that had hate in his own heart. And as I didn't watch much of it, I couldn't bear too much of watching it. But one thing that struck me is I remember watching just this past week and they were interviewing, it was either a friend or a family member of someone that had died. And I remember them saying, you know, we are just heartbroken. We're devastated. But we have to forgive. And I remember the interviewer saying, what do you mean? Why do you have to forgive? And she responded, because I'm a Christian. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. My guess is that she was formed in a community that took seriously Paul's words. Colossians 3.13. Forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. They were witnesses through their forgiveness. And the world took Christians also were marked by radical welcoming of outsiders. And the world took note of this as well. One of the things that's very interesting, I've talked about this before, but I think it's one of the most unique things that we can't capture as much today as they could in the first century that we proclaim and we sing this and we proclaim this all the time. We say, Jesus is Lord of all. But I don't, I don't think you understand how radical a statement that is. Because we take for granted that Jesus is Lord of all. But in Jesus' time, in the first few centuries, it wasn't the case that there was a God who was Lord of all. The Jews had their gods. The Egyptians had their gods. The Babylonians had their gods. The Assyrians had their gods. Everybody had their own gods. And so when the church started going around proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all, this was a radical statement. And here's what this meant for the church. The church fully understood, God's people understood, that if Jesus is Lord of all, that means everyone is welcome. That's what they understood that to mean. Jews were welcome. Gentiles were welcome. Rich people, poor people, men, women. The cultured, the uncultured, the righteous, the sinner, the priest, the tax collector, the idolater. They're all welcome. In fact, what outsiders used to say about Christians is that they were, they, they called them the third race because they didn't really know what to do with them. 
because the world was divided up Jew and Greek at the time. And you kept separate. You kept separate in your own spaces and the gods that you worship. But all of a sudden, Christians are proclaiming that Jesus is Lord of all and attracting all these different people and all that are welcome. And so they didn't know what to do with them. They said, well, they're like a third race. They're neither Jew or Greek. We don't even know what to do with them. They welcomed everyone. And the world took note of that. They even welcomed people that persecuted them. You guys remember the story of Ananias, who was during, it was actually mentioned, an integral part to the story of Paul or Saul. Saul had been persecuting the church. He'd been going around killing Christians, persecuting the church. And then when Saul was called and became Paul, God also, or Jesus also, called Ananias to say, I got this guy named Saul that I want you to welcome into your community. And the text actually says, we, wait a minute. <laughs> I've heard about this guy. Isn't this the guy that's going around killing Christians? The text doesn't say this, but I'm sure Jesus is like, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I want you to welcome him anyway. Wait, you want me to welcome this guy that's been persecuting Christians? You want me to welcome him to church? And Jesus says, that's exactly what I want you to do. Maybe this is where Paul, maybe this is where he learned the teaching he later passed on in Romans 15, 7, where he says, welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you. They were witnesses through their welcoming, and the world took I have a question for all of you. Does this story sound familiar to you at all? Does the story of suffering, forgiveness, and welcoming sound familiar to you at all? It should. Because this is the story of what God does Jesus Christ. Jesus has come into the world to suffer not only for us, but with us. And not only to suffer, but to forgive. To forgive all sin. To make it all right. And then to show some kind of radical welcome. A welcome that takes seriously the statement that Jesus is Lord of all. Because that means everybody is welcome and invited. This is how God restores the world. Through suffering, the forgiveness, and the welcome. So 
Are you willing to suffer for Christ and for the sake of others? This is the story that God is living out in the world. And this is the story beginning in the book of Acts, actually before that, but then carried on through his disciples and through the centuries. This is the story that he's asking you to take on to be your own story. That Jesus suffers for the sake of others. Not for his own sake, not because he could pat himself on the back, not because he could say, look at me, but he suffers for the sake of others and for the sake of the world. Are you willing to suffer for the sake of others, for the sake of the world? Who do you need to forgive? Because Jesus' suffering is not just about suffering for suffering's sake, but he suffers with Forgiveness is hard work. It's not soft work. It's godly work. It's discipleship work. Who do you need to forgive? And who do you need to welcome into your life, into the life of God's people? Because if you confess that Jesus is Lord of all means that everybody's welcome that's what it means he's not just Lord of some he's Lord of all and not only is he inviting you in with some radical hospitality he's inviting your neighbor in he's inviting people you don't know in he's inviting people that aren't like you he's inviting your enemy Because he's Lord of all. When the church participates in Christ's story, suffering, forgiveness, and welcoming, it participates in God's restoration of the whole world through Jesus Christ by the power of his Spirit. Will you stand? Let's praise the God who's restoring all things.